Running down dogma with his karma. This is the Drew Marshall Show. Ready to dance, Drew? Can I tell you a quick story? Please. It's your show. So, Mick, when my sister got married, wait for it. More skills from Drew Marshall. Embalming. Everybody can beatbox. Just say boots and caps. So, what about your, your sister's oh, wedding? Oh, my story. So, my sister's wedding, my mom gave me money for dancing lessons. You obviously spent it on billiards or something silly. No, I spent it on three days of breakdancing lessons, because that was huge back then. That's hilarious. I told her I did formal le- I can't even remember what I, I lied to her. So three days of breakdancing lessons, and then it was my sister's wedding, and it was Michael Jackson thriller time, right? So I go out, and I go to the bathroom, take off my dark socks, put on my white socks, and hoik my pants up. So I got that whole Michael Jackson that. short pants, nice. white sock look, right? Then get out on the dance floor, Michael's going... And I started doing the moonwalk, because I could kill the moonwalk. But yeah. then they expected me to do stuff I'd actually learned at breakdancing lessons. So they formed a circle, and I split. I ran off the dance floor. I choked big time. Big time. You know the interesting story about this song here? Vincent Price, you know who reads that little yeah. thing in the middle? He was given a choice of money up front or percentage. Oh, what'd he take? He took the money up front. Oh, $500. I should have done some, that. Something silly like oh that, yeah. I should have done that with Journey to Christmas. They keep playing that every oh. year. It's like Star Wars. Those guys took a percentage instead of money up front, and it looks like they won. By the way, look for me on television this Christmas and every Christmas from the next 20 years. Journey to Christmas, that's the television show. (sighs) Folks, Ann Spangler, she's the author of Wicked Women of the Bible, Wicked Bad and Wicked Good. Ann Spangler highlights 20 of the wickedest women in the Bible. What did you say earlier about the Barbara Walters thing? Uh, Wicked Women of the Written Word. Wicked Women of the Written Word. Here's Ann Spangler to join us and straighten us out in this whole thing. By the way, let me give you the setup. Ann Spangler is an award-winning writer and author of many best-selling books. She's also a co-author of the best-selling Women of the Bible and sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus and the general editor of the Names of God Bible. Ann's fascination with and love of Scripture has resulted in books that have opened the Bible to a wide range of re- readers. Her website is annspangler.com, and we're giving away a copy of Wicked Women of the Bible on our Drew Marshall Show Facebook page. Uh, so go there, and uh, you'll find out your, uh, well, how to win this book. By the way, we have a lovely picture of me in my Halloween outfit holding Anne's book on the Facebook page. Anne Spangler, thank you for joining us. Hey, great great to be with you, Drew. You don't know that yet. Well, I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have um, given uh, quite the insight to your readers about uh, these various women. And, I, you know, look, I know you get all the typical interview questions, but I want to know, which of the wicked women you relate to personally the most? Uh, good question. You know, Sarah is my favorite wicked woman, and a lot of times you wouldn't think of Sarah as being wicked. You know, she's the wife of Abraham, and she bore Isaac, the child of the promise, but there's a lot of great things about Sarah, but like most of us, she's kind of a mixture of good and bad, and one of the the baddest things, if you will, about Sarah is the way she related to her Egyptian maid, Hagar. Um, When Hagar, you know, Sarah couldn't have kids, so she suggests to Abraham, hey, why don't you um, see if my maid Hagar can give you a son, which was 
sounds bizarre to us, but it was really uh, the way things were done in that age if the wife couldn't have a child. Um, so uh, Hagar bears a child, and then she starts getting kind of full of herself and makes some mistakes in the way she relates to Sarah. But basically, Sarah throws her out of the house, pressures Abraham, and he ends up uh, you know, saying goodbye to her and his son uh, after being pressured by Sarah. So Sarah definitely had the upper hand. So why do I relate to Sarah? And it's not because I have a maid that I've abused because I don't have a maid. No, no. Um, but honestly, you know, Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to um, Isaac. And I was 46. I wasn't 90, thank goodness, when I adapted my first child. So I have two daughters from China. So that was kind of, you know, one point of reference. And the other thing I love about her story is the laughter that kind of threaded through it, if you will. Um, her, her son's name, Isaac, means laughter. And when she heard uh, from an angel that uh, she was going to bear a child, I think she was 89 at the time, you know, she laughed because it seemed so preposterous. But then when it actually happened, she became pregnant, and she gives birth to a son uh, and names him Isaac, meaning laughter. It's almost like she and God are in on the joke together that no matter what happens, uh, God keeps his word, and nothing can basically defeat God. So I like that laughter. I like to think about that when I'm thinking about my own challenges, hmm. that God is faithful, and in the end, he wins. And because I belong to him, I win too. Okay, so um, a few years ago, I was asked to help out on a on a raid, uh, rescuing girls who were uh, part of the sex trade, and they were trying to rescue them from the Korean mob. And it was a pretty dicey situation. And um, as I was speaking with a lady who was organizing this raid, and I was just standing there to take a bullet, I think that was my job, um, the, the question came up about, you know, why, why do these women stay? Why, why don't they try to get out themselves? What keeps them trapped and stuck? And they are, there were issues about passports and, you know, identity and, and legal stuff. And, but what came to the forefront in this conversation a lot was they had done so much nasty stuff that they, had no, long, they no longer had any self-worth. They felt they were garbage. Of all the women that you have written about, the wicked women of the Bible, which woman do you think felt, do you think, felt like a piece of garbage? the most? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> the one that comes immediately to mind is the um, the woman who had been a prostitute and who uh, basically bathes the tears, bathes Jesus' feet with her tears in a public setting. You know, you remember she's um, sort of crashing, if you will, this party that a Pharisee by the name of Simon is giving, and Simon is actually giving Jesus the cold shoulder and the way he's treating him. And she comes in and publicly, um, you know, washes Jesus' feet with her tears and basically an act of adoration. So I see her as somebody who might have felt that way. And then she encountered Jesus, encountered his teachings, his person, and his love, and was totally transformed. 
Uh, on the phone with uh, Ann Spangler, she's the author of Wicked Women of the Bible. And when you were sort of hunkering down into, you know, I guess narrowing down the, the 20 wickedest women of the Bible, after you published the book, were there was there a woman that you thought, oh, I really should have included that one, but I just couldn't? You know, not really, because honestly, there aren't that many. Yeah. Well, I had a couple criteria. Um, I wanted women who had long enough stories so that I really didn't have to. Um, embellish them. I wanted to just lift their stories out of Scripture and retell them from for a modern audience, but I didn't want to have to uh, do a lot of inventing of scenes or facts or details. So there are women, for instance, like you might remember uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, who tried to seduce Joseph um, mm-hmm. in Egypt. She was really rotten, but her story is so brief, I really... There wasn't enough there to no. tell it. Well, and these days, do we not call a woman like that a cougar? They're just an older, aggressive woman? Is that not what we call them? I don't know. I generally don't use that word, um, because then I'd have to use comparable words for some of the men um, that do things like that. But, um, she, you know, she was worse than that, in that she falsely accused somebody of rape um, because he didn't go for her. She was insulted. And so that's how she dealt with it. Mm-hmm. I'm friends with a with a, a girl, a lady named Delilah, who's a radio uh, radio gal. She has the uh, love songs with Delilah, late night with Delilah, all that kind of stuff. Syndicated radio sure. host. And uh, of course, you, you can't bring up wicked women of the Bible without talking about Delilah. I mean, that's the that's the scariest girlfriend anybody has ever had. Do you not think? Yeah, and of course, Delilah on the radio, I've heard her laugh, and she sounds like a really nice lady. Oh, no, no, she's scary. Delilah, <laughs> you know, was a femme fatale, and, um, you know, the story that she uh, basically was offered a lot of gold in order to betray her boyfriend, who was this strong man named Samson. His enemies were the Philistines, so the Philistines knocked on her door and said, look, if you... If you can find out what his secret is, we'll we'll pay you lots of good money. So uh, she basically does that, and it's almost humorous, the back and forth between her and Samson. Um, and so she does betray him. So she's, she's a, a bad one. I think there's only a couple women that I wrote about that are sort of, you know, thoroughly kind of bad most of them are kind of mixtures of good and evil, mm-hmm. um, but she's one of them, although Samson isn't a great guy himself, and sometimes you wonder, you know, what, uh, why he's considered a great hero in the Bible if you read his story. In doing all this research and really kind of studying these women's lives, is there any insight that you, you kind of were able to hunker down into or grasp and get a hold of when it comes to relationships? Um, for example, the reason I think of this is because, you know, you just said uh, Samson has his own issues and Delilah had hers. You know, it, I find it very interesting how how um, two people with a boatload of baggage can find each other and and uh, and live happily ever after, you know, swallowed up in their own baggage. Uh, it's very interesting who attracts whom. And, uh, and I was just wondering if you gleaned any insight as a result of studying all these bad women. Yeah, um, I can't claim to be a very good psychologist, so I'm not sure that I uncovered anything, you know, past the usual wisdom. But people do seem to have a radar for each other, I think. 
Um, and you see, like, Je- Jezebel was another one that was, she's probably one of the worst. She was a Phoenician queen married to King Ahab, who was the king of Israel. Um, and he's, you know, just as bad as she is. So they were sort of uniquely suited to each other, if you will. Um, but most of them really are kind of a combination. Even the story of David and, and Bathsheba, it's not really clear. Uh, was Bathsheba complicit in the affair, or was she, uh, you know, a victim? Because David had all the power. He's the king. He summons her. Her husband is away. She's unprotected. You know, so that's another interesting story. And David, of course, is one of the Old Testament's greatest heroes, and yet the Bible uh, doesn't shy away from exposing his weakness and his sin, which is is always something that is very convincing to me, actually, in looking at some of these stories of of the women and their, um, you know, their relationships. If the Bible were just a puff piece, you would think that some of its greatest heroes would just come across more heroically than they do, but it's so realistic the way the characters are drawn that it's one more convincing piece of evidence, I think, in the, in the Bible's, um, you know, truthfulness. We're on the phone with Ann Spangler. She's the author of Wicked Women of the Bible. Her website is annspangler.com. And I, I just want to touch on the adoption uh, side of your life for a moment, if you don't mind. Um, you sure. have you have two girls that you adopted from China, is that right? Yes, when they were babies. When they were babies. And how old are they now? Well, my oldest is um, 19, youngest is 17. You know, uh, Delilah, as we're going back to her again, the radio... Uh, uh, my radio friend, um, she has adopted so many kids over the years. So many kids. I didn't know that. And and I want to know, um, you know, for those who think I could never adopt, uh, you know, another child because we're done having kids and we just can't do that anymore. Um, I I don't know. I, you know, there's a part of me that that thinks that if if anybody in the world should be doing the high and mighty acts. It should be those who are who are um, followers of Christ, those that have surrendered their lives to God. Um, and, and yet, boy, you've got to be just, I think, the right person at the right time to be adopting. Um, I don't even know if there's a question here in this. What I'm trying to say is, wow, I admire the fact that you've done this, but I think you're a little nuts. I think anybody who adopts is nuts, and this is coming from a kid who was adopted. There's something really risky about it. Uh, that I admire and yet I'm terrified of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I certainly will not um, defend myself against the charge of being a little nuts. Um, <laughs> I, I have been. And, you know, but I I really took a lot of time to pray and consider and think about whether that was right for me, particularly given my age and the fact that I'm single. Um, and I felt like you know, God was urging me towards that. So now if I'm running into difficulty as a parent, I remind him of that. Hey, God, this was not just my idea. This was your idea, too. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there's so many kids that need homes, and I think God has opened the hearts of an awful lot of Christian people and other people, too, but particularly Christians, uh, to really adapt these kids. I do think, um, having said that, it's a calling. Um, it's a huge commitment. It's a calling. Um, anybody who who is thinking about it really does need to seek the Lord um, and say, is this something, God, that you want me to do? And if so, then, then uh, you know, he's going to give you what you need. Um, 
but you might have to remind him of that occasionally. Um, I, well, again, I, I guess I really want to thank you for, for, for doing that, except I, this is the other thing I'm dying to know. You know, as a, as a single woman who's adopted, do you think, well, did you get any flack for that, especially from, from within your own tribe, from, from the Christians? Did, they, did you get people writing you going, who are you and you shouldn't have and you should have a man before you adopt, you know, that kind of stuff? Um, not really, because, you know, I'm not famous, so I don't get people writing to me about my personal life. Oh. Um, you know, there were probably the most concerned person was my mother, because she knows <laughs> what it takes to raise kids. Yeah. Um, but she was very supportive, and she she loves, you know, she's not any with us anymore, but she just loved both of them hmm. unconditionally. So she was supportive of that. She was just worried about me. And, um, and, you know, as a parent, I think any parent, but particularly single parents, you know, there does come a time in your life where you say, gosh, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the emotional energy, what was I thinking, what were you thinking, God, you know, please help me. It's probably been, as much as I love my daughters, and, and they're the most important people to me, and the greatest privilege my life has been to be a mother. It's also the thing that's kept me on my knees the most, yeah. kept me humble, aware of my desperate need for God's grace. Hmm. Um, but also, I've seen God's faithfulness in all of it. So, yeah, I'm grateful. But it's you know, it's it is a huge challenge, particularly as a single person. Well, speaking of a huge challenge, I want to introduce you to my engineer, Tim the Tool. Uh, <laughs> Tim has has been dying to ask you something, Tim. Yeah, I'm just uh, going along, I guess, with the single parent thing and, and the challenges uh, maybe within the church. But on the bigger scheme of thing, I'm assuming with the name Spangler, you don't have uh, – you're not of Asian descent – did you find the challenge of <laughs> that's a big assumption? Yeah, yes. Did you find the challenge of of raising children that were not of of the same as you, so to speak? Did that add, add an extra level of challenge to you? Did you find that people were kind of looking at you weird? Or I think these days you, people would go, "Oh, she adopted." But but still, I mean, there's that there's that question of of race and like how how were you? Did you make the choice to raise them? Understanding their cultural background and balancing all that, as well as being a I parent. You just anyways. had one question. Well, it, it's connected to the Asian <laughs> background okay. and, and how how that worked and how challenging that was and? for you. Yeah, no, um, good question. I think it's best for kids. You know, there's so many things that we want to do as parents for our children. We want them to have, you know, the ideal upbringing. And if you're uh, adopting cross culturally, you want to expose them. Uh, you know, to their own culture. You want them to have that richness, and that helps them establish their identity. Um, however, I have to say to you in all honesty, we had other challenges. My eldest uh, daughter has autism, oh, high-functioning autism, um, and we have some other issues. So we're just kind of, you know, we're just kind of hanging in there dealing with the basics. So, I have done the greatest job with that, but on the other hand, it's because we've had to focus on other issues. It's not always possible. The fact that your kids look different than you are so far down the list of, of things that are an issue is what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, although, you know, it's interesting because I remember going on a walk one day in our neighborhood. Um, she was about three, and we met up with another um, family who also had adopted a little girl from China about the same age. And what she did astonished me. She pointed to her eyes. And the other little girl pointed to her eyes. Like, they could tell immediately there was sort of a kinship because they 
recognized that they had similar eyes. That's so really that was, cool. Yeah, so it is cool. Um, you know, and maybe you should interview my daughters in 10 years, and they could <laughs> tell me, you know, they could tell you more like, what is it really like to be adopted by, um, you know, an American family and not have a ton of um, connection with their culture? I know one of my daughters re- would really love to go to China, love to visit um, where she comes from. The other one's not at all interested. So <laughs> I'm hoping in a couple of years I could do that for my youngest. Ann Spangler, she's the author of Wicked Women of the Bible, and we're chatting about so much more than that. Um, and I, I got an email from someone last week, and Tim, you don't know this, but you're part of this email as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to you, and then I'd like to get your reaction, Ann, if you don't Mine mind. Hers. <laughs> sure. Just listening to last story, this is from uh, Bob Gad, his uh, brother's name. I can't remember what it is, but it starts with an E. Get it? Anybody? Egad. Thank you. Egad. Okay. He says, uh, Hi, Drew. Just listening to last week's pub crawl, Tim was talking about Jesus and the woman at the well, and you being the cheeky monkey you are, quipped, go and sin no more. No knock intended on you. I hear this all the time, except Jesus didn't say that to her. He only ever said that once in John 8 to the woman who was caught in adultery to whom he had just given a get-out-of-jail-free card and a passage that, if you check your footnotes, isn't even found in the earlier copies we have of John. So it is questionable if Jesus ever said that. The only other time he ever came close was saying to someone he healed, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, and we have no context at all for that. So not something we can build much on. I hear people say uh, all the time that Jesus kept saying, go and sin no more. But there's a good case to be made that he may never have actually said it at all. Do you have have a reaction to that, Anne? Well, first, uh, I'm not a theologian. I'm not trained as a theologian, but I... um uh, it's it's accurate that the woman at the well, that's not something he said to her, although he certainly did reveal her position that she had, um, that she was, you know, had several lovers and that she, the man she was now living with was not her husband. So he's, there's certainly other stories in the Bible where he does deal with sin, but in connection with healing, um, the one I am most familiar with is the story of the man um, who was healed, at, I think it was at the Pool of Bethesda, and I think that's the second one that he's referring to, you know, don't uh, sin anymore, something worse may happen to you. Mm-hmm. So it would seem like there is some connection between uh, sin and some kind of disorder or sickness, but then there's other places in the Scripture where that's balanced out by Jesus saying, you know, it wasn't because of this man's sin, it was to give glory to God, or, you know, so anything like that has to be nuanced. There may be times when sin does come to a person because of their own actions, but that doesn't mean you can make a causal connection every time there's an issue of sickness or, you know, some kind of uh, neurological disorder or whatever it might be, physical disorder. Um, and sin, you know, yes, because the world is broken by sin in general, bad stuff happens, but but bringing it down specifically, you know, would take more discernment, and, you know, I'm not Jesus to tell, to say, to be able to identify when sickness is related yeah, to no, that's right. sin or whatever. Well, Wicked Bad and Wicked Good, Ann Spangler highlights 20 of the wickedest women in the Bible, a wicked woman of the night, the story of Rahab, a wicked sorceress. 
That's hard to say. Uh, the story of the medium or the witch of Endor. I always found that story fascinating. A wicked girlfriend, the story of Delilah. Wicked surprise, the story of Deborah in jail. Uh, wicked funny, the story of Esther. Wicked desire, the story of Bathsheba. Uh, why do I always think of Richard Gere? Uh, a wicked birthday. Remember that? He was in that. Uh, King David. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Wicked desire story. Of Bathsheba. Wicked birthday party story of Herodias in uh, Psalm. Wicked crazy story of Mary Magdalene. Wicked smart the story of Drew Marshall. And uh, wicked old the story <laughs> of Sarah. And what a pleasure. It was great to chat with you. Okay. And I, I appreciate your wicked wit. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, com is the website. We're giving away a copy of Wicked Women of the Bible on our Drew Marshall Show Facebook page. Uh, go to our page and you will see a picture of my Halloween outfit holding Anne's book. I don't know if that's a good promotion for Anne or not so much. Sure, Although I do, I do look help. like one of the Wicked Women. Short break and when we come back... Our Halloween special continues with one of the most notorious witches in North America. Somali pirates have hijacked a sailboat in the Indian Ocean and taken two passengers hostage. What happens next will change their lives forever. The Tears of Dark Water is a powerhouse new novel of tragedy, vengeance, and redemption. From acclaimed novelist Corbin Addison, the international best-selling author of A Walk Across the Sun. Kirkus Reviews calls it a fast-paced thriller and puts its humanitarian moral at the forefront. Electrifying and moving, The Tears of Dark Water is a tour de force and Corbin Addison's most powerful novel yet. 